0: I can't emphasize enough how critical it is when you are a new leader, I think in any industry, but security specifically, to come in and build that trust and don't automatically come in thinking, I'm going to change the world because that is not going to happen.
1: From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore and today we again hear from Olivia Rose, CISO of MailChimp. The first time we spoke to her, we went off on a great tangent, ended up talking about the unique challenges and opportunities for women in cybersecurity. Now we're back again ready to tackle a topic we originally had in mind, which is the first 90 days as CISO. As a new CISO, your success depends on your team. And in many cases, there's the opportunity to build one from scratch. But what do you do when you inherit one with established roles and procedures and personalities? For a successful transition, you can't just run in guns a-blazing, expecting people to come around to your way of thinking just because you have a title. So what tools can you use to connect with the team, step up as their leader, and ultimately work together to protect the organization you serve? Okay, Olivia, thank you so much for being back on the show. For those that haven't listened yet, this is actually her second episode. The first was episode 13, and I believe to date was our most downloaded. So, Olivia, welcome back.
0: Oh, it's good to be here. And I always like to be number one, so we'll try to uphold that uh, yeah. that record.
1: <laughs> to also be number one this time. <laughs> yeah, so it, for those that haven't listened uh, prior, would you do us the honor of just a quick introduction? Kind of, who are you? Uh, where do you work? A little about yourself?
2: Sure.
0: Presently, I am the CISO at Mailchimp, which is a global all-in-one marketing platform. We are very well known for our uh, email (laughs) distribution platform. And prior to MailChimp, I've spent about 15, 16 years in the security space, always on the advisory and consulting side, advising C-levels on best security practices, controls, risk, compliance, governance. And then earlier this year, I thought it would be a great opportunity to try doing it myself. (laughs) So uh, here we are.
1: Yeah. And for the listener, we started off having a chat. Actually, last time you were on the show, we were going to talk about this topic. And through just part of the conversational nature of the show, we got on another topic, which is actually extremely important. And it was so good, we just ran with it. So this is actually the original topic, which is, I believe, uh, something you wanted to cover, which was the first 90 days as a CISO, what to do and, and maybe even what not to do. So what do you think about, in general, so you just became a new CISO, at least officially entitled, what was the first thing that, that worried you or concerned you about joining? So maybe not the, what, what to do in the first 90 days, but what, where was your apprehension about taking the job?
0: It primarily was around responsibility. The beauty of being a consultant is that you arrive on site, you give your feedback and your recommendations, and then you leave. You don't have that follow through as much. So what was concerning to me or making me a little apprehensive was this is a different ball game where I'm expected to do all that, but also own it through to completion. And yeah. I thought that was a really interesting challenge. And so that, that was a big one. The other one was managing a security team myself, because I've always advised on building teams. And of course, I've worked with a lot of security people in my career. And I've managed a lot of security people in my career, but it's always been on the advisory side, not necessarily the in house practitioner side.
1: Yeah, there's a difference in commitment, is maybe one way to frame it, where there's a permanence more so to the position for sure. And I think the other thing that a lot of people might miss is the operational gravity of the position, meaning, again, if not to say consultants or advisory uh, folks don't work a ton of hours because I know they do, but there's a, an ownership that comes with the job where you might be up all night working on an issue. You might have the stronger connection to the problems of the, of the company, whether political or technical. And that can be a shock to a lot of people that aren't familiar. I mean, did you find that as well?
0: In my case, I didn't find that as much but I, I can definitely see how it would be a shock. And I think it depends on the company you go into.
1: Now, if I remember correctly, is your, were you the first CISO at MailChimp?
0: Yes. <laughs> so what? And what Mailchimp advice
1: you, needed. Yeah, sorry for interrupting, but what advice do you have there? So you, if you're the first CISO, so not only are you a new CISO, you're the first CISO. Tell me about that.
0: I think it's fun. Uh, i must i I might be a glutton for punishment, but <laughs> i think it's I think it's an interesting challenge because when you come in as the first leader of security, you have a green field. you have a lot of expectations placed on your shoulders. you have a lot of hurdles you need to get uh to overcome, which I can talk about after this. However, it's really exciting for someone who enjoys literally jumping in and making chaos out of I'm sorry making sense out of chaos and a true challenge and i have found it particularly uh, rewarding to be able to come in to mailchimp and look at what people have thought in the past the issues were and then to take those and then also add my thought process to it
1: so do you think that there's, and you may not have experienced this at MailChimp, but if you are the first chief security person and the company has been without that, do you think that could that could introduce additional challenges, meaning they don't know a definition of good or bad? Uh, there hasn't been any rigor around or maybe even any familiarity with InfoSec potentially, right? It may have been the goal, may have been, you know, build fast build market share, get customers, focus on availability, do things quickly, but now there's a security person. Like, Is there anything there that that either you encountered or that you were maybe worried about encountering?
0: Well, I can tell you from what I'm hearing from other CISOs in general, because it's a little different in my situation. In general, they have come in and it's been more chaotic than I found it. And I say that because MailChimp has always had a security team in place and a very high employee awareness and interest in security. So they needed someone to come in and put it all together and and just make it work better and aligned with strategic objectives and business objectives. Though, what I've been hearing from a lot of CISOs at organizations that are just hiring a, a leader, security leader, for the first time is that typically it's much more chaotic. <laughs> uh, they don't have the support that I had necessarily. And it is it, it's a difficult position to be in because you do need to come in and say, you know that what you're saying is right, however, the organization may not think so as much. We have well, we haven't been breached yet. And right, right. Well, you know, how can you <laughs> how can you come back to that? I I was in a very fortunate position however what you were saying i don't think it's as common to be in the position i am w- in
1: yeah so there was already a culture of of security there just not maybe an officer sort of over that program from an ownership perspective is and that's a good clarifying point i i think it's still though when there's a new officer in any organization as that company grows if you're the first Time is, is, is an interesting currency, right? It, it's scarce. Mm-hmm. And you now have your own message and it has to go up and out. So you're fighting for a piece of that pie, that time. Mm-hmm. And so that anything there that, you know, now there has to be security updates. There needs to be sort of sign off on different, you know, third party risk or customer evaluations. I mean, Anything there that, you know, getting into that, that rhythm, and maybe this is part of your, some, some of what you had to discover in that first 90 days, anything there to sort of get the, 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 the cadence of security going? Any advice there, any observations there?
0: Yeah, thinking back on my uh, prior response here, I made it seem like it was all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> it's definitely not. Um, it's much more aligned with what you just mentioned. It's, while it's, exci- it, it, while it's exciting to come into a greenfield environment, You are required to change opinions and actions of individuals who have been doing things a specific way or focusing on specific things, possibly for a very long time. And there's always the question of why. Why do I need to change? And change is not that much fun for most people, probably not for anybody, but some people have more problems with it or concerns with it. You have to understand that when you come into a new environment, you have to play nice with the other kids in the sandbox. This is their company. They've been doing things their way for a very long time. You're the newcomer. So how are you gonna share those toys in the play box? And it's critical to build alliances and partnerships with other teams. It's critical to be viewed as an enabler. So when you come in as a new CISO or leader to an environment, if you come in guns blazing, the quickest thing that's going to happen is everyone just stops listening to you,
2: mm.
0: or they think that your hair is on fire, or they're not going to pay attention to what you're saying. What I've discovered, and, and I'll be very, very transparent about this, I'm, I had a little bit of those those guns blazing when I came into Mailchimp. I'm very honest about that, and so for a couple of months it was a little rough, but I learned very quickly. I needed to back down and I needed to listen a lot more. I already thought I was listening, but I needed to listen a lot more. I needed to not throw my opinion in there so quickly. That is not what they were looking for from me. They're looking for me to understand. Got it. And then once I understood, I could throw my opinion in. They were looking to me to build trust. I can't emphasize enough how critical it is when you are a new leader, I think in any industry, but security specifically, to come in and build that trust and don't automatically come in thinking, I'm going to change the world because that is not going to (laughs) happen. But now we're on a good path at MailChimp. But, you know, again, to be completely transparent, I, I had to have a lesson learned myself.
1: So what do you think, you know, you went in and you sort of, you defined what guns blazing means to you in the situation uh, that you explained. I think that makes sense. But why do you think that you felt the need to go in guns blazing? Why do you believe that you wanted to kind of push the way that you pushed? Because you, you meant well, You you didn't create that behavior out of Malice, or you know, you wanted a positive outcome. So, right. in the moment, you're thinking, "This is what I need to do." But why was that, and, and how did how did you get it wrong?
0: There's three reasons why. One is the simplest reason: it's a new job, and I'm excited. Okay. Simple, right? The second reason is this is a new position, a new role within a company with very high expectations. And I need to influence and impress people right off the bat. Got it. Where I don't think necessarily employees and and companies are looking for that. The third one, the third reason is because after being 16 years as a consultant, I'm used to coming in on site and being expected as a consultant to quickly get a very good view comprehensive view of the environment and the issues very quickly spin them around, wrap them up, put a bow on top and present them to management. And that works very well as a consultant because it, it's expected of you. But at a company where you're coming in as a full-time employee, that does not work because you're not listening to people and you're expecting change in behavior from people without them feeling heard or understood.
1: Right. Yeah, that's I think that's you really hit it there. I think for anyone listening who's a consultant or is is looking to change to a to a bigger commitment as I mentioned earlier, those are three really good items that you want to kind of do a, a self check. You know, are you too excited? Are you wound up? Maybe you're the first CISO or are you trying to make a big splash? And then the things that got you into being a good consultant won't necessarily make you a great CISO in terms of just you know turning and burning and uh, and, and throwing an idea out and leaving. Yeah, um, I think that's I, exactly I like right. I like how you kind of broke that up and broke it down.
0: And my manager actually, if I can just throw another thought in there. Yeah. My my manager, he's the CTO, threw in a good thought a couple of months in which had me thinking about it. And he said, what's important to me right now is that you gain the trust of the team. So if an incident happens, which it will, it's not necessarily not necessarily how you respond to the incident as much. It's that you gain the trust of your team, that they will follow you and do everything in their power to support you. They'll jump right in and they'll want to fix the problem that you have that trust level.
1: Let me ask you. Yeah. So you're specifically referencing the people that you work with directly that report to you. He's referencing, the CTO is saying that, okay, as opposed to your peers or someone else. So because there there was an existing team, there's an existing security culture that they trust you as as a leader. Okay.
0: Right. And there's more to that than just coming in and saying, hey, I'm really good at building up 24 (laughs) months strategic roadmaps. Check me out. <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that to gain their
1: trust. All right. Let's talk about that for a minute then. What, what is, from your view, I mean, trust to me takes, that's a long and slow thing. It, mm-hmm. you know, trust isn't generally quickly earned. Now, there's some exception to that. But when the CTO is sort of coaching you on this to say, uh, your priority, your, your priority right now is to gain the trust of your team. Yeah. What is that trust and, and how is it achieved?
0: This is probably one of the things I'm most proudest of in my uh, <laughs> six-month tenure at MailChimp uh, that I managed to gain the trust of my team, that I honestly feel I know that if something happened at, sat, on Saturday night at three in the morning, I know they will jump in with no questions asked. And the reason I'm so proud of that is because we had a rocky road. Those first two months were very rocky. And it was on both sides, right? But I, I would say it was probably driven by myself because I came in a little guns blazing. So I would caution anybody, <laughs> as Steve mentioned, I would caution anybody going into uh, leadership and security not to do that as much as I did. However, it became, after, after the two-month mark, I came to the realization that something needed to change. And and obviously that starts with myself. And what I did was I dropped the veneer that I'm a, you know, I know security and I know a lot about this and it's going to be my way. And, uh, you know, I know what's wrong with everybody, you know, with with everything going on here. And my way is better because I've been in the industry twice as long as long as you guys have y'all have, I should say. So I dropped that veneer and I sat down with each of my managers and I, became, you know, it's, this is, this was new to me. I actually became very vulnerable with them. And I said, I honestly don't know how to fix this. This is a situation that I don't know how to change for the better. This is completely new to me. The employees at MailChimp are young, the more millennial generation. So I obviously wasn't connecting that way. And I said, I don't know how to communicate. I don't know how to connect efficiently because it's obvious uh, right now. And I need your help. So you tell me what to do. And each one of them responded incredibly well. And each one, I, I worked together with each one. And about a month later, I started noticing differences in how the team looked at me, responded to me, and acted. Good. And it it became a slow process. But I think a few tangible things that really, really helped is quick hits, just once a month, doing a an Ask Me Anything, an AMA. Now, the, the first couple, nobody asked anything. But then on the third and fourth one, I was barraged with questions. And, uh, and and that was great.
1: Yeah, let's hold there for a quick second. I want to recap on what you what you shared because I think that's important for the listener and really for the conversation to say you're, if you're in a situation where you're having this type of trouble, you feel like you're not getting traction with the team, the people that you because in, you inherited this team, right? It's mm-hmm. not you can build this team. And uh, you're now responsible. And so where there was not any traction you're trying to make a splash for all the right reasons, but you know humility sometimes goes a long way, which I think is the core of what you were referencing. Which yes. led into kind of the three things or the three notes that I made, which is you you drop the the veneer of as you noted, which is to me self awareness of saying, okay, I'm behaving this way, uh, it may be putting some people off, and really two key things which I think work in all over the world to say, I don't know, mm-hmm. which takes a ton of strength to say, I don't know. It took me a long time as a human to say, I don't know. I was afraid of sounding or seeming stupid in a meeting or in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a group to say, I don't know. I don't know how to fix that. You know, yeah. tell me. And then the last piece, which is one of the best from a human perspective, from a, a psychological perspective, negotiation, whatever, is just say, I need help or can you help me? Yeah, And I think that you outlined it very, very well, which then begins, you know, when I'm saying, what does trust mean? And and that is certainly an incubator to, to all of that. So for those listening, I think that that's maybe do a, a gut check. If you're finding, you know, you're in this type of issue, are you doing those things? Now, as a, as a facilitator to that, it sounds like, and you were just getting into it, you started to sort of maintain trust or maybe build it, you started doing this ask me anything meeting or call. What led you to do that? Where did that idea come from? And how did, you, how did you manage it?
0: It was important to me to show transparency, that they understood that I would be as honest and direct and transparent with my team, of course, as much as I possibly could to the extent of my abilities to, to be transparent and forward. So the AMA was a way for me to demonstrate that I'm okay with the ugly questions. Mm -hmm. And again, as I said, it, it took you know, two, two, I, I did it over lunches, two lunches for them to see that there weren't going to be any repercussions. Another thing that worked really well. And this is difficult to do. And it's, it's your behavior, where they see that you're willing to stand in front of a bus for them. You are willing to defend them, even when they're wrong. (laughs) But you, you, you keep the dirty laundry, the family keeps the dirty laundry hidden. And they, there were a few things just small events where they started to see that I walked the walk and talked the talk. Sure, and I was okay. I took my punches and I took my blows for them, and they saw that. Can Another, you, sorry,
1: yeah, let me, let me yeah, let me interrupt you there real quick. So you mentioned I want to go back to behavior, uh, and mm-hmm. I've got. I, I think that's super important, and also the, the the having people's back. But you mentioned earlier that in the AMA, you were cool with even with ugly questions like what. Mm-hmm tell me an ugly question.
0: (laughs) So, uh, there was, uh, I don't think, I think I can be pretty open with this. It's not confidential. So when I started in, so July, they were planning a capture the flag in October Mm -hmm. event. And I thought, uh, you know, on my list of priorities right now, I mean, that's kind of like a two out of a 10 from what I'm seeing, you know, and other things we've got to get done, you know, in my, my brain, my consultant brain, right before I made that transition. So I had talked about it with a couple of the managers, just, you know, probing questions. I mean, is this the best use of time?
2: Mm. Because
0: a lot of time was being spent on it. Yeah. So then we skip forward to October where they had it. It was a two and a half day event and it blew my mind. (laughs) They had almost two thirds participation from the company. Right. We're an almost twelve hundred people company, without really any advertising or anything internally. Almost two thirds of the company participated and captured the flag.
1: Which is, if I may, that is, I mean, there, there's an in, there's an intended skill and capability check, but it's also a bit of um, marketing and advertising for the program as well. That, right, that, but
0: there was barely any marketing or advertising. I think a Slack message went out once or twice. Yeah. It was just word of mouth. So, you know, of course I'm standing there looking at this, eating my words, you know, you know yeah. okay, I've been corrected. So at the next AMA, which was the third one, the question was asked. <laughs> so what is your opinion about the CTF now? Hmm. And you know what? I owned up to it. I said, I was totally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, the first and second session, they probably would not have asked something like that because they would know how I would respond. But by the third session, they recognize that I see my mistakes and I own up to them. And in this case, I was completely wrong. And I actually apologized to the, the person who was in charge of it. I said I was completely, completely wrong in doubting you.
1: Well, and I think that goes back to. This idea of trust and where before we had three items that we were sort of counting that you recommended, I would nominate a fourth, which is the I am wrong. So dropping the veneer, Mm -hmm. saying you don't know how, asking for help, and when you're wrong, admitting that you are. And I think those are, again, those are very non-security things, but may plague security teams for a variety of reasons, maybe more frequently than others because of you know, we are all still sort of developing our definition of good. Uh, and, and many of us come from such a difference of background that, that I think starting, resetting at least is, is helpful in that regard. I, I like that.
0: Oh, good. It worked like magic. It, just those four things you mentioned, they saw me as a human. I want what's best for them. I want them to be happy. Of course, whenever a new leader comes in, there's always fear of uh, she's gonna get rid of all of us. And I said, absolutely not. That's that's not my intention whatsoever. I'm not a I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I'd rather have you stay, trust me. I know what the security market is like out there.
2: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> and I, I think over time, I think they just began to like me as a person too. And I'll tell you I, I thoroughly just genuinely like each person on my team as a person. Right. I think they're fantastic people. And we had a, a big initiative. I, I asked on on uh, early Monday morning to we need to take a look at this right now. We need to assess, do some discovery as to how if this is a risk to Mailchimp. It was a large uh, global event. If you can put two and two together.
2: Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I want I said I I want us to do a, a big sweep. Let's make sure that we're doing our due diligence and we got our T's crossed and our I's dotted, right? Just so I can sleep better at night. And the way these my folks jumped in, it was just, it was heartwarming. I mean, I, I got to say, it's, it was heartwarming. Because I look back four months ago and would they have done that? They, Yeah, they would have jumped in and they would have done what? because I'm their boss and I ask them to do it, but there wouldn't be this almost maniacal excitement about it. Like we're working as a team. We're doing something awesome. She brought this really interesting thing to us. We're valued. She trusts us. It's that type of response.
1: I kind of moved you away from the topic to recap earlier, but you were getting into defending the team, which in many cases Infosec can create situations, sometimes even outages or other types of problems in an environment where they need to feel some level of protection, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. our work can be a little messy, unfortunately. Right. Tell me a little about that. I have my own sort of thinking, and even my sort of my rules of leadership that cover this. So it's very close to my heart. But you were kind of getting into the topic of. Defending or standing up for your team, maybe share an example or your perspective on that if you would.
0: I'll be honest, I can't think of an example that I can say without it being yeah. <laughs> obvious, but I, I can kind of talk around it.
1: Yeah, well, let, let me let me lead in with I had a basic thing that that I believe that the security leader should own every failure. The team gets earns the and, and owns the success. Any failure for any reason, uh, that was how I managed the team and tried to lead the team because I didn't want them to have any fear. You mentioned fear earlier, and and Mm -hmm. because my, my, my bullet point on this is that we need people that will innovate and take risks, and if fear, they will not. And if they're in fear, it leads to apathy. So, mm-hmm. uh, and so as a leader, the way you do that typically and there's several ways, but it's, if you have to take away pain and, and, and they have to feel protection and the best way is, is to sort of own, own any failure of, of any type and every type. And sometimes it hurts to kind of, you know, take those arrows, but that's kind of where I was going. I didn't, I know there's certain things that are sensitive and you can't sort of, well, you know, Suzanne did this and she was wrong <laughs> and, and I own the problem, but I mean, <laughs> Anything that, again, from the lens of a new CISO who's excited, who's trying to win the team over, I think it's important to talk about fear. So this was sort of the opening in that first 90 days to say, you know, in that behavior lens, you know, is there ideas that you have or anything that you'd recommend?
0: Yeah, actually, I think a de- in my case, there had not been a leader of the team, executive leadership level. So there wasn't a lot of attention paid to them as much as there should have been and so on. So they they saw that, I made it very clear that the security team, we are the, the security experts in the company. Now, other people, other teams may, may have some great ideas and they may want to deploy those ideas, but ultimately we own the decision and the governance. Yeah. And one of the things I remember this in a meeting, I think one of the things that got me some traction with trust that I said, I want all of you to have good reputations and that you're easy to work with and everyone like you. Personally, I don't care if anyone doesn't like me. (laughs) I'm (laughs) past that in my career. Yeah, yeah. I fully expect that nobody will like me in this role. So I'm completely okay with you pointing anyone who gives you a hard time to me, and then I will be the one to say no. And that's happened a few times where they say, well, so you know, these people push back on these things. And I say, send them to me. I'm more than happy to to tell them no. And when, when they see that in action, then you gain trust that this person really does have my back. I know that if I mess up, I try to do something innovative, as you mentioned, and it doesn't quite work out the way it should, and I mess up. She knows, she expects from me that I should try to fix it. If I can't fix it, then at least let me know, and they know that I will defend them because my actions have been prior to this that I, I will st- stand up for them.
1: Now, let's take a little bit different direction. So now instead of looking into the people, the team that, that's yours and the people that report to you, maybe shift the lens more to uh, your peers or your, the rest of your ELT. There's a book that's been out a long time. It's by Michael Watkins. It's called The First 90 Days, interestingly. <laughs> it's from Harvard Business Review. And one of the things he mentions is, I think it's the fourth or fifth thing, is securing early wins. Which I think yes. is is important. Putting a security hat on. What are some early wins from kind of non technical early wins? What that that you would recommend? Maybe you did or didn't do these things at Mailchimp, and we're not speaking specific to this. But what are the things that you think are important to to secure early wins from an executive lens?
0: The one thing that comes to mind also helped out with my own team as well. So it's a it's a double whammy where uh, I I had a planning session to talk about vision, mission, and um, objectives and goals. Yep. So going through that exercise and with my management team made them realize what truly is important to our team, what are the values we want to get across. We we came to an, an agreement as to what we find important, as to how we view the security team from now on and what we do. Then after we came to an agreement, I sent that out to the rest of the team just saying, hey, would love your feedback. Want you to know, see how you agree with all this. And then once everybody read it and had a chance to digest it and and comment, I'm in actually I got so I got them printed out, all that the vision mission goals uh, printed out on cards. Yeah. And nicely designed and, and with like a little robot thing that you can build out of a block. It's one of our customers. It's really neat. <laughs> and so those two things go together. A little robot holds the holds the little post-it oh, the sorry, the uh, postcard sign. Yeah. With our vision mission values. And I'm going to give those to all of the ELT as well. So it was a double whammy where people can see within the group and outside the group what my vision is for the team. And how successful we're going to be in supporting Mailchimp's overall business and strategic drivers. Yeah. And I think that then people will take a different view on security and view us as an enabler to their teams. So I would emphasize that it's critically important to have good relationships with the rest of the ELT, but also with managers and senior managers and directors of other teams as well. As well, we all know, that's the best way to get stuff done.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and people who have had to listen to me talk at all in the past have, have um, heard me say many times that it's often harder to get cooperation than it is a million dollars.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. And it starts with, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, please, please continue.
0: It, well, it starts with when you, just building a working relationship with them, what you have in common, So eventually over time, when you do ask for their help or their expertise and you do need to influence their behavior and squeeze something into their roadmap that is not already on there and you need to have them help you with, that they're much more open to to, uh, squeezing that in. The relationships are critically important and I don't think people understand who are interested in this type of CISO role, I don't think they understand how critical interpersonal relationship capabilities and it is to the success in their, to their success in this role.
1: Oh, I, you do not have to convince me. And I, <laughs> in my past, I was too heavy handed in many ways when I was an individual contributor. And even when I was a young leader, but Trying to figure out myself from a human perspective and, and studying things like emotional intelligence and mm-hmm. motivation and having empathy and all these things that, especially for the benefit of my team, because I, I saw myself as you know, we're with these folks sometimes half their waking hours, and I know a good or a bad day at work can mean or lead to a good or a bad day at home. And so, mm-hmm. if you really have to lock that in. But on the outside, you know, absolutely, you know, there's a lot of things that security teams need. They've got to cover a lot of ground. And you don't want to have to convince somebody of something in the middle of a crisis, as, as an example. You want mm-hmm. to have the relationship ahead of time. You know, it's a, one of my talking points is you, you don't want to have to make an introduction in a crisis. And that's a, that's a really, you know, so that it takes being social. It takes being present being available uh, and and adding value, having genuine interest in other people's work. Anything else in terms of early wins? I really like the direction you had on, you know, kind of putting together your mission and direction. Any other observations that worked well for you in your first 90?
0: Well, there was that one time I blew up at a vendor because they were mistreating my staff.
1: <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah, no. That's, all right.
0: Yeah. Okay. I can't yeah, talk let's... more about that, but uh, they they saw right there.
1: No, I um... want to hear about that. So that okay. So you have a <laughs> vendor. I don't. We obviously we're not going to mention vendors. We're not going to vendor. You know, this isn't about product or yeah. anything like that here. But what was the what was the issue at a very high level? What was the the problem between the vendor and your your team?
0: I actually blew up with them twice. Um, <laughs> in summary. It was a long standing relationship over several years. And I think there was a level of them taking advantage of my team mm. and letting certain things slip by. Which, when I came aboard, I came at the tail end of the whole thing. And I stopped the presses and I said, wait a minute. And I brought up all these other, all these points of, you know, lack of a better term, misconduct by right. this vendor and of course i can do this in my sleep you know rules of engagement after 16 years <laughs> i sure. know what to expect from a vendor during uh, an activity and initiative and there definitely were, were gaps and my thing and this is what i conveyed to the team is you can mess up just fix it own up to it move on not a big deal I'll forget about it tomorrow, trust me, I got two billion other things to worry about, right? With this case, I expected an apology from them. I expected recognition of their mistakes because they were glaring, absolutely glaring. We were in a meeting and it came to a head where they just refused to take accountability. And it was at that point where I just, I probably went off for about a minute. And uh, afterwards, I apologized to my team. I said, I'm, I'm sorry you know, you saw that. I just, I had to do it. And uh, they actually said, no, it was awesome. You know, somebody's finally standing up for us. Sure. Uh, well, so they liked that. The second time was with the same vendor where a senior leader, a member of their executive team was now, it had escalated to a point where an executive leader was on the call. And it came to a point again where I said, you know what, at this point, all I want is an apology. That, that's all. I want an apology to my team because you have made them waste time and you treated them unfairly and you took advantage of them. And you need to, I don't see, I don't understand how you don't see that or refuse to acknowledge that. We all know that you did. And there, <laughs> the apology was made to me directly mm. as to. So this is how we're sorry that this is your first experience with us. <laughs> okay. And at this point, you know, I was just like, you know what? We're done. We're absolutely done. You just don't get it. I said we will never be using you again ever. And I said you owe an apology to my team who is yeah, on this team. call. Yeah. You know, they're on this call. And I'm waiting for it. And so a half-hearted apology was made. And, you know, at that point, I was just like, you know what, we're done. We're done here. If you can't even treat members of my team with respect, you're, you're finished. I don't care how good your product or service is. So they, they saw that. And from that, I got the, the nickname Mama Bear. <laughs> so they, they saw that I'm willing to not allow them to be offended or treated badly by other people just for the sake of, of work.
1: Is there a place, this was a glaring issue, mm-hmm. but uh, which triggered these sort of these series of events. We hope to not have to be in this type of situation ever because, you know, life is too short and fighting with people unnecessarily is right. a lot. But do you think in the first 90 days, had this problem not popped up, do you think a A vendor review would have been in normally in your first 90 days, sort of a a rationalization or is that something that would happen after in that window of time? There's there's no right answer, but I was just curious, would you have, were you planning on digging into your vendor partners or your your software providers or your, whoever your VAR was? I mean, was that in your 90 day plan or is that something you would recommend pushing off if you can?
0: I would recommend pushing that off. I, I did not look at them. If they're in place and my, my managers say, so far, it's been a good working relationship and we've been happy with them, I don't see a need for a review of the vendors. Once they give their findings, reports, and so on, then I think that's a good time then to look at the quality in what they delivered. Of course, I have my favorite vendors whom I've known and worked with for years, and I have my favorite people who I know and trust. I would love to bring them in. In this case, we are going to bring in one of those <laughs> people who I know and trust, who um, is at another company, to replace the vendor we had. But there's also a lot of vendors out there that I'm not familiar with and I've never worked with. And if the security team has been working with them and has liked them, I'm willing to give them a shot.
1: Absolutely, I, I think that it gets back into an earlier topic, which is that that trust piece. You know, in my prior life. There was a group of people who I had a lot of trust in, and, and our procurement team was like, Well, they're a little more expensive. And I'm like, Yes, but I don't have the negative outcome that I do with others. <laughs> right. I'm, willing, I'm willing to pay 1% more or 2% more to not have these silly conversations again. Right. You know, to sort of prevent these issues. Anything else? We're about, we're, we're about capped at time, but uh, we could go all day on this. But anything else that you would want anyone else to know? A first CISO, a new CISO, uh, in their first 90 days. What's something else? Another piece of advice you might have to to kind of wrap up?
0: There is a fantastic set of books. And there's also a really, really great post by a CISO called Gary Hayslip.
2: Yeah. He's, sure.
0: Yeah. He's uh pretty pretty out there on LinkedIn. He's got I think, three books in a series about how to be a CISO, how to set up a program, which I found very, very useful. And he's just one of the nicest, nicest guys, always willing to help. And then he wrote a post called The First 90 Days of a CISO, and he's, he, he recently updated it, and it's on LinkedIn, so you can find it there. There's some great advice there. I caution everyone <laughs> that he makes it seem kind of simple. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. and nothing works according to plan. So, uh, and, and it's going to be different for everybody. What I found is it, for anybody contemplating coming into this role, that it is, it is a very s- difficult role as expected, but it's also difficult for reasons, which may be surprising
2: hmm.
0: that, uh, for the first three months, especially the first month for sure, long, long, long hours. So take that into account with your family, your friends, your life in general. Everything else kind of gets put on hold because everyone wants to talk with you. <laughs>
2: right.
0: Basically, up until the point where you step foot in that company, they have been putting most of their security initiatives and their problems on hold. Yeah, when they've been told you to show up. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. And then, literally, the first month, it's all thrown at you. You're going to be overwhelmed. You have a new team, you have a new organization to learn, expense reports, you have people looking up to you trying to say, Well, what do I do now? And you're like, I don't know because I haven't been here long enough. There's a new culture, there's political ownership. You know, somebody might think they deserved your job or think they know better than anybody else. <laughs> yeah. There's always these issues, right? It's so overwhelming. Those first 90 days, I look back and I think they flew by. I I can't, was, all of the days have kind of mushed together into one big lump yeah. of 90 days.
1: One big day, one big day. One,
0: one big long day. And for a while there, you know, I, I would just have fun going, all right, how far can I go in today without having one of those meetings where I'm like, oh, I so wish I didn't have that meeting. <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs>
0: over time, it uh, became further and further apart. But, but in the beginning there, it's, it's rough. It's tough going. So don't give up, expect it and make other preparations around your, your personal life that you can accommodate Yeah, what you're about to step into.
1: Thank you so much for that advice. You know, you're, you, I can tell that it actually was tough and, and, uh, took some grit, but I can tell by the tone of your voice and just what you've shared, you have a ton of enthusiasm and and laughter and joy for the position. So thanks for sharing sharing all this. And I hope it's helpful to uh, maybe the the future CISO or somebody who's considering going in. I think uh, I know I appreciate uh, your advice and I know they do too. Thank you so much for joining us again uh, on the show. Well,
0: thanks for having me again. It was great.
1: Perfect. Thanks that's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.